The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we celebrate the great solemnity of all saints. It's a very appropriate feast for today because what does the world need most of all? Saints. Not just those in heaven, but us who are in process. You read the Bible, St. Paul refers to the faithful living as saints. And that we should regard ourselves in that way. Because we have a calling from baptism to be holy, to be sanctified, and to do the will of God. And to rejoice in our calling. Our readings today really explain today's solemnity with two basic questions. First, what is the thing that we most desire? And then secondly, how do we attain it? How do we get there? So I'll start with the first goal, which is found in the first reading, as we heard from Revelation chapter 7. There, St. John is caught up into heaven, and he's caught up with a vision of a great assembly of saints and angels praising God, and they're breaking out in great joy as we just heard the seven acclamations, blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So they're in this ecstasy of joy because they're seeing the Holy Trinity face to face. They're seeing this beatific vision, and that's what they were created for. That goes to that first question. God created us in his image and likeness with a desire already built in, not just for partial truth or partial beauty or partial goodness. We find those things here on earth, and they're good, but they're not fully satisfying. What we truly desire is goodness itself, truth itself, beauty itself, fully, and that's the Holy Trinity. So that's what the goal is, and our saints point to that. Now, in the second reading, St. John, the same author of the Gospel and the Apocalypse, he writes this beautiful exposition about the beatific vision. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, as he be the beatific vision. Now that's an amazing statement by St. John. We just need a bit of explanation there. 
He's saying that as we gaze on God, we become like him. Now, how is that possible? There is a tradition in Catholic philosophy, one of the aspects of how we know, called realism. And realism teaches, this goes all the way back to Aristotle, but all the way up through Aquinas and the medievals. When we know something, let's say we're watching or looking at a flower, the immaterial form of the flower is identical with our intellect. Now you say, how's that possible? It's because of how we're made. So we have external senses, and we can take the flower into our internal senses. It abstracts out just the form of the flower, the immaterial form, and then brings it into the intellect. So there's a, an identity between what we're knowing and us, the knower. And that knowing doesn't stop there. There's a process of conforming. So the knower always is being conformed or shaped by what they know. It's not just static, it's dynamic. And that's one of our great gifts as uh, created in God's image and likeness. So it's very important what we do know because we can also be deformed if we, let's say, spend all day you know, playing a violent video game and what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to shape us in that direction. Just the process of knowing that conformity, that shaping. So it's very important what we watch, and we have to be careful about that. In the beatific vision, if we're gazing on beauty itself and glory, that's going to shape us. And that's why it's called beatific vision, because we're the ones being beatified in the vision. That's what St. John is getting at here. So in the beatific vision, this is speculation, of course, but this is right through the whole tradition of the church. When we're gazing on the beatific vision, the Holy Trinity, our intellect takes in, unmediated, the vision of God. And we have a strength, this is what St. Thomas teaches, called the light of glory, it's a grace. It strengthens our intellect to be able to take this in. But then our will becomes inflamed. We desire more of the vision. And because we desire more, our heart grows in love. We want to know more, and God satisfies that by giving us more. And then we take it in, in our intellect, our desire grows again. God gives us more. We are inflamed in love of what we're seeing. It's sort of a divinization process. So it's an interaction between our intellect and our will, a dynamic, sort of exponential. And since God is infinite, he's always giving us more of himself, and we're always taking it in. Our will is being inflamed, and we want more and more. This is why St. John sees this multitude in heaven crying out these seven acclamations, because they're taken up in the vision. That's the beatific vision. That's what the second reading is getting at. Well, let me say one more thing about the goal. In heaven, we just don't see the beatific vision. That's, of course, going to be tremendous. But there's also the social joys of knowing the other saints. That will increase our joy because we will know that they are experiencing what we are experiencing. And there's no envy in heaven. We're just rejoicing. So our joy is multiplied by all of the other saints because we know they are experiencing what we're experiencing and then we are conversing with each other to share. 
So it's just, yeah, it's amazing. So that's the goal. How do we get there? Our reading set that out. First reading says, be sealed. All the saints were sealed with a mark. If you go through the Old Testament, you see various passages in Ezekiel, for example, where the saints are marked out by a sign of a cross. What is that for us? Baptism. Confirmation. We get sealed with the chrism oil on our forehead. That sets us out in a process. So it means sanctifying grace, the Holy Spirit's living within us. And as long as we have sanctifying grace in our soul at the time of our death, we will eventually go into heaven. So that seal is important. It's not just we baptized like way before in our infancy. Every day we renew our baptism. We renew our confirmation by asking the Holy Spirit to come into us more deeply. Secondly, we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now what is that? The robe is a symbol of our soul. And we can sin. We have that freedom. But God has given us a remedy. The sacrament of reconciliation, that's washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb. And the Eucharist does a similar thing. So the sacraments help us to wash our robes in the blood of Christ. Finally, in the Gospel, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. The responsorial psalm adds, Who shall climb the mountain of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. Again, what does that mean? Pure heart means single-mindedness to adore God and not to be distracted by the allures of the world. Money, power, pleasure, esteem, all the things that can distract us. Now they're good in themselves, but they don't take first place. We are single-minded in our pursuit of holiness. Now when we read the lives of the saints, and this is the beauty of the Catholic faith, we have thousands of saints that are canonized, and we have many of their stories. They've been recorded. We can read them. And this communion of saints helps us because, first of all, these saints have answered those two questions. They are the ones who have hungered for God, and they've done what it means to attain it. But we have these two answers now in a rich variety of their vocations, their personalities, their charisms. And we can read them because we're all different. So, for example, before I was a priest, I was a lawyer, and I really enjoyed reading St. Thomas More. He was the patron saint of lawyers, and he was a very interesting saint. He had a large family. He had a busy practice. He was taken by the king to be his chancellor. All kinds of intrigue, all kinds of political issues. And yet he got up every morning about 4 a.m., and he studied the Church Fathers. He knew the Catholic faith. He did this from a young age. So when he was tested by King Henry VIII, he knew that he had to stand firm in the truth. And he did. He was one of the few who stood firm in that time. So just his integrity and his willingness to sacrifice to know the faith was very helpful to me because I was involved in all kinds of issues as a lawyer, and I needed to make good decisions. And I prayed to this saint to help me, and he did. So that's my story. And now, of course, as a priest, there's other saints that I pray to, St. John Vianney, who's the patron saint of priests. But all of you have the opportunity to do the same. 
depending on your personality and your charisms and so on, there's a saint for you, or many, and we should know their stories. Why? First of all, because they inspire us, but they help us to rethink our priorities. Our basic attitudes in life sometimes can get skewed just by the culture. These saints set us straight because they were single-minded and they lived it out practically. So each one of us is called to be a saint without exception. Now, remember, all of the saints, they had the same weaknesses we did. They sinned, they made mistakes, and they always washed their robes in the blood of lamb. They made use of the sacraments, so they're not sort of ivory tower figures. They were in the world as we are. Even if we fail at everything else in life, if we become a saint, our life is successful. So let's do that. And the starting point is that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit, that's how I began the homily. Hungering for the good, true, and beautiful. And that begins with asking God's grace. Lord, I need your grace. And he gives us his grace, and that starts us along the way. And then make use of the resources, as I said, the church offers, the sacraments, the scriptures, tradition, and of course, prayer. Then love God and neighbor. And finally, let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, the queen of all the angels and saints, to pray for us and pray for each other. We're all in this together. This is a cluster right now. We're heading toward a family, and we need to be saints. We need to be those examples, living examples of devotion to God. And let's rejoice in the process. Life is difficult enough. Let's pray for each other. Rejoice that the saints are praying for us, and we have their examples, and we've got God's grace. We've got this beautiful ability to know God in his goodness, truth, and beauty, which is just a foretaste of the beatific vision of where we're headed. So with that, let us stand and profess our faith.